Uh, we started this series last week uh, on Genesis 1 through 11 called The, the Story of Your Life. Uh, and, and this morning, we're going to look at the story of creation. Uh, and to start out, I, I want to do something, kind of pull a page from, from what we did when Life Action was here. Uh, and, and I want to have you answer a question. Uh, you can answer with someone beside you, ideally someone who you didn't come with, whether in your row, behind you, in front of you, whatever it might be. Uh, and here's, here's the question. What's one of the most beautiful places you've been to? One of the most beautiful places you've visited before? Or what's one of the most amazing natural sights you've seen? This likely going hand in hand. Uh, I'll give you a, an example from my own life. Uh, this is a picture of uh, Bryce Canyon National Park at sunrise. Uh, and my photo skills aren't so great, uh, so it probably doesn't do it justice, but it was one of the most beautiful things I- I've seen, being able to see Bryce Canyon National Park as the sun was rising up over the horizon. So I, I want you to answer that question too. Someone beside you, someone in front of you, what's one of the most beautiful places you've been or one of the most amazing natural sights you've seen? You can turn and answer that question, and I'll give you about a minute to do so. All right, we'll, we'll come back together here. Uh, I, I wish that somehow we could get a picture of one of every single, one of all the things that you just said and somehow have them streaming up on the screen behind me throughout this morning, but obviously we can't do that. Uh, we're, we're talking, like I said, about Genesis 1 this morning. And so if you want to open to Genesis 1, very beginning of your Bible, easy to find. Uh, and we're specifically looking at the account of creation. Uh, and so we're going to be reading most of the chapter. Um, but But when we come to this passage, we immediately have questions. We immediately have questions. This this passage prompts probably lots of questions. But but often, I think, or maybe I shouldn't say often, sometimes we we come primarily with the wrong questions. Because we, we come maybe just seeking an answer to the how and when of creation. And what I mean by that is not just how in the sense of did God speak this into existence, but like how long did God create? What, was it seven literal days or, or six literal days? Or, or was it a longer process that, that went throughout ages and, and these days are, are meant to be more uh, figurative than literal? And, and when? What, was it 6,000 to 10,000 years ago or, or was it much longer? And we should realize just when we ask those questions, there, there are good Christian scholars who land on opposite ends in answering those. And so whatever our answer might be, we should have a type of charity and humility uh, holding our position, but also recognizing, okay, other people believe different things about uh, this creation account as well. But, but those are not the questions that, this, while they're important, they're not the questions that Genesis 1 is primarily meant to answer, I would say. Because I think Genesis 1 is primarily meant to answer the who and why question of creation. Who created it? To, to which we answered last week, well, God did. That, that he's the author and the director and the main point of everything. And, and then why? Why did he create this earth? Why did he create the universe? Why did he create it? To, to which we find the answer throughout the Bible, to, to display his glory. Or to reveal himself through what he's created. Psalm 19, 1 through 2 is famous for saying this. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. We can say that about the heavens, but also about the earth. You you might think of it in this way. that, That if you look at a piece of artwork that someone has created, 
you can likely learn things about that person just by observing whatever it is that they've created. And so I've got this picture of a piece of artwork this morning. And if, if you look at that, you, you, you could study it and you could observe and learn things about the one who's made it. You might, you might realize, okay, they, they are very creative. They're a very, they're very good painter with a steady hand. That picture would look far different uh, if I tried to paint it than this person painted it. Well, they, they, they've got an eye for beauty in everyday things like wildflowers and, and, and peaches and tomatoes and onions. That, that, that they've got an eye for detail and seeing small things. The, the, the more that you looked at inside this picture, the more you could probably learn about who, who's the one who painted it. What, what, what must they be like? And, and just as a piece of artwork might reveal some things about the creator who's made it, so the world, this earth, the universe reveals things to us about the God who's made it. Now, now before we look at Genesis 1, and ultimately ask, which is going to be kind of our big question this morning, what does creation reveal to us about God? What does creation reveal to us about God? We should also ask, well, why does it matter? Why should we care about seeing God revealed through the world he's made? Why, why does that matter? We've got the Bible. Why should we care about seeing God through the world he's made? To which there, there are probably many responses, and I'll maybe give two this morning, one to start out and one to end, but, but here's the first one I would give. Because I think one of Satan's greatest strategies against us is to have us simply forget God. To confess him with our mouths. To believe that he's real on Sunday mornings. And then to go throughout our week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, living as if he's not real and he doesn't really exist as we go throughout our normal lives. And Satan knows that if he can get us to just live as if God, like forget that God exists, well, well then all of a sudden there's no real power in our lives because we, we go about our lives as if this incredible God who we say is real and who's with us doesn't really exist. Now you might think, well, what, what do we do to try to prevent forgetting things? If you're like me, you set a whole bunch of reminders, right? Like I'm setting reminders on my phone nonstop throughout my week. Hey, remember to do this tomorrow. Hey, Bree wants you to do this tomorrow. Remember to do that. Don't forget, okay? Over and over and over again. Day after day after day after day, creation is this big, massive, giant reminder saying, remember your God. Remember your God. Rejoice in him. Worship him. Don't forget him as you go throughout your life, Kyle. That's why it matters for us to see God revealed in the world he made, because it's a way that day by day by day we can remember and know the God who created everything and who has and is writing the story of history and of our lives. The, the, the big idea we're going with this morning is this. The universe reveals the God who writes our stories. The universe re- reveals the God who writes our stories. And so we're going to answer that question, okay, what does creation, what does this world, what does this universe reveal to us about God? Uh, and this passage seems to uh, like sevens a lot, not just seven days in it, but, but there's also other things you could pick out there, seven. So uh, in light of that, we'll, we'll highlight seven things in response to that question. Seven things creation declares to us about God day by day by day. 
Uh, let me pray for us, and then we're going to read in Genesis 1. We'll read verses 1 through 25, and then also ver- verse 31. Uh, if you just want to, you can read along. You can also feel free to just close your eyes and listen along. But let's pray before we read it. God, you say that of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will wear out and perish, just like us, but you remain the same day by day by day by day. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in our own strength. Our hope is in you as God. And God, you you are glorious beyond our wildest imaginations. But I pray that this morning you would capture our imaginations to, to again get a glimpse, a faint glimpse of just how glorious you are and that it would transform our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 1, starting in in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two greater lights, the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Jump ahead to verse 31. 
And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. That's an incredible account. We, we read over it because we've read it so often and forget just how incredible it is. But, but my hope is to again draw out this morning some of the incredible things this account reveals to us about God. Seven things. We could probably do more or less, but we'll do seven. And here's the first one. God is absolutely majestic. God is absolutely majestic. I use that word majestic intentionally, even though I know it's not a word that we, we often use in our vocabulary. And I use it because I think sometimes it's reserved for talking about things in the natural world. And it's also a way that the Psalms speak of God, especially when they're talking about what this world, what creation reveals to us about God. So in Psalm 104, which is the Psalm we're going to keep going back to this morning, it's this hymn to God that's based off creation and what it reveals to us. It starts out this way, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. David Mathis describes majesty in this way. He says, in our language, as in biblical terms, the word captures not only greatness, but also goodness. So to say something is majestic is to say it is great and it is good at the same time. I mean, with that in mind, we just say the the earth is full of majesty. From Niagara Falls that pours over 700,000 gallons of water every single second of every single day. To, to the Rocky Mountains, snow-capped, rising 14,000 feet into the sky. If you've ever driven out west and you drive through the Rockies, the, the only word that's appropriate to describe them, I think, is majestic. To, to the Amazon rainforest and, and the thousands of living wa- creatures in there. And we, we could go on and on, think about all these different things that reveal majesty or are majestic in this world. And so we should ask, well, why is the world so full of majesty of majestic things that are great and good so that we would understand the God who made those things is infinitely more majestic. See, see, when we enjoy something wonderful, I think we instinctively ask, who made this? Who made this? So when you or I taste the best chocolate chip cookies you've ever had in your life, you instinctively ask, who made these? Like, whose recipe is this? Because you not only want to enjoy and praise the thing that's made, you want to praise the maker as well. God fills the world with majesty so that we would ask, who made this? Who who made Niagara Falls? Who who made the African Sahara? Who who made Mount Everest? Who who made the, the Rocky Mountains? Who made the sun? Who made the stars? Who made the moon? Who made it? And then burst in praise as we say, my God made it. And if that's majestic, he must be infinitely more majestic. But, but I think too, we should realize that his majesty isn't just found in the Rockies and the Amazon and the Sahara. It's found in your backyard and my backyard if we stop to look for it. Like it's found in bumblebees and fruit trees. It's found in in butterflies and blue skies. It's found in dogs 
and fresh cut logs. I couldn't come up with a good thing to rhyme with dogs there, so we went with logs in case you didn't know, right? It's found in cats and maybe not cats. I'm pretty sure they came after the fall. If I'm reading Genesis right, I'm not sure. But you, you get my point. It's everywhere. If we just stop and look for it, it's everywhere. God's majesty, this creation is bursting with majesty in a thousand different ways saying, look at me and then look beyond me to the God who's created me. So often in our lives, and I'm speaking about myself here, we, we tend to be consumed with the problems and projects of our lives. Those are the things we dwell on. Or we try to escape them, at least for just a little bit, with our screens or with distractions. God is far more worthy of our attention than any of those things. And creation is telling us day after day after day, stop, look at your God and what he's made. Creation declares your God is majestic. Stop and worship him. Stop and worship him day by day, moment by moment. Creation also reveals God is entirely self-sufficient. Genesis 1 tells us that, that God creates out of nothing. He needs no prior material to create. He simply speaks and it comes into existence. That's, that's part of why the word used for create here is bara. It's a word that's only used of God because only God creates from nothing and makes things. How, how different God is from you and I, right? If I want to make something, I want to make the world's best chocolate chip cookies, I can't say, let there be chocolate chip cookies. I mean, I, I can, but nothing happens, right? I look like a fool. I've got to buy the ingredients. I've got to gather them together. I've got to measure them out. I've got to mix them. I've got to put them in the oven. And only after all of that does chocolate chip cookies come out. God needs no ingredients to create the universe. You, do you catch in Genesis 1? He says, let there be. And the echo is, and it was so. Let there be, and it was so. Let there be, and it was so. God needs nothing to create. And we should recognize God doesn't create because he needs something. The, the idea that God creates out of lack because he needs something is entirely wrong. This is the God who is triune, Father, Spirit, Son, perfect throughout all eternity in happiness and relationship and joy. He creates out of overflow and abundance, not out of lack because he needs anything at all. And then we should see that creation and us as created people are the exact opposite. We need God for everything, not just for initial existence, but continued existence. Psalm, Psalm 104 hits on this again when it talks about God saying, from your lofty abode, you water the mountains. Why does it rain? Yes, because of all the, the cycles we know and everything we know about the all that. But ultimately it rains because God makes it rain, the Bible says. The, the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of, the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. The, the whole earth, humans included, need God for everything, depend on him for everything. And the God who we look to to provide for us is wealthy beyond our wildest imagination. 
This is the God who says, let there be something, and it pops into existence. Listen, if you ever develop that type of technology, you will be the richest person in the world in seconds because all you have to say is gold, and gold pops out. Like God is wealthy beyond our wildest imagination. Now let's stop and dwell on this for just a moment. I want to drive this down into our lives a little bit more, hopefully. Who's one of the richest people in the world right now? You can probably come up with a couple of them. I'm going to go with Jeff Bezos. He's not the richest, but he's one of them. He's worth about $125 billion. That just, I don't understand that amount of money. $125 billion. Now imagine for a moment that you were one of his kids. Imagine that you are one of Jeff Bezos' kids. I'd think if Jeff Bezos is my father, I never have to worry about anything again. Probably not true, but I think that because why? My father has $125 billion. He'll take care of me. God is infinitely more rich than Jeff Bezos. And the Bible goes on to tell us that if your faith is in Christ, the creator is also your father. We don't have to worry about anything. I'm talking to myself here. But when we do, we we end up forgetting the creator is also our father. As we wake up each day, if you're like me, you wake up and you think about all you need for that day, all the problems you're going to encounter, all you have to face. But as we wake up each day, God also invites us to not only look out into our days, but to look out into the world he's made. And say, if my God made this, he's rich. This belongs to him, then he can take care of me. This is exactly what Jesus gets at in Matthew 6, by the way, right? Hey, look at the sparrows. They don't need anything. God takes care of them. Look at the lilies. Look Look at how God clothes them. How much more value are you to God? How much more value? God invites us day by day, look into the world, see how wealthy he is, see how sufficient he is, and and go into the day with confidence that he'll provide. Creation declares your God can supply all you need. Don't worry. Third, we might see this. God is completely sovereign. As you read through the beginning of this passage, you might have noticed there's this reoccurrence of this phrase. God called. God called. God called. It's the same word that's used later in the Bible, to speak of parents naming their children. Just stop and think with me for a moment about that. Bree and I got to name our two sons. Why? Because they belong to us. They're ours. Now, I know they ultimately belong to God, don't get me wrong, but but in another sense, they do belong to us. We got to name them, they're ours. I don't get to go around naming your kids. That's a good thing. You don't want me to name your kids. But why? Why? because they don't belong to me, they're your kids. And so when God names things, he's saying, this belongs to me. The night and the day, it belongs to me. The sun, it belongs to me. The seas, it belongs to me. The earth, it belongs to me, it's mine. I get to name it. And what we find is that God rules over the parts of the universe that seem big and out of control. At the time this is written, people often are worshiping the sun or the moon or the stars. Why? Because they seem big and outside of our control. So we better worship them and try to control them. And then in this creation account, God says, well, the things you think are so big and outside control, they're mine. They belong to me and I rule them. 
And in my sight, they're just the lesser light and the greater light. And then it goes on uh, in verse 21, the Bible speaks of God creating the great sea creatures. You might ask, well, why, why does it mention that? Why does it mention the great sea creatures? Be- because in some of the pagan mythology of this time, the great sea creatures were the rivals of their creator gods. They looked out the sea and the biggest animals in the sea, and they thought, well, th- those are too big for our gods. Like they're, our, they're the rivals. And God comes along and says, the great sea creatures? Oh no, I created them. They're mine. Like I play with them because they belong to me. Do do you see what Genesis 1 is doing? What it's telling both the original hearers who hear it and us. God's saying those things that seem so big, so outside of your control, they're mine. They belong to me. I rule over them. You don't have to be afraid of them. Here's a way maybe to, to picture that. Imagine for a moment that you are out for a run or a jog. If you're not a runner or a jogger, you're just going to have to imagine it. Uh, You probably imagine yourself miserable, but just imagine it for a moment. And as you're running, you go past a front lawn, and all of a sudden you hear this very loud barking noise. And you look, and you see a big dog running across the front lawn towards you, barking at you. Now, if you're like me, you tense up. You maybe start to lean and run towards the other side. You're thinking, this might not go well. This dog might bite me. I don't know what's going to happen here. But, but what happens if right after that, you see the owner walking behind it and calling the dog's name? Immediately for me, my fears are relieved because I think that dog belongs to that owner. And even though I don't know that owner, I assume they're not going to let that dog attack me. You see, this is what creation is telling us. The things that seem so big and outside our control and fearful, they belong to our God. And and the Bible goes on as we read it to say, ultimately then those things can't harm us because God will only use them for good in our lives. And if there's no part of the world that God doesn't rule over, no part of creation that God doesn't rule over, then we should realize there's no part of your life and my life he doesn't rule over either. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, there is nothing, nothing that God does not rule over in your life or my life. Nothing that we ultimately have to be afraid of, even though it may not be good. Creation declares to us, your God rules over everything. Don't be afraid. Fourth, creation tells us God is truly all powerful. Creation reveals to us a God who has power to do anything he pleases. When he speaks, light appears. Waters separate. Mountains pop into existence. Seas gather together like tiny kiddie pools. Like our God is truly all-powerful. This is part of what Romans 1, 19 through 20 is saying when it says that humans have no excuse for saying we don't know there's a God. Because Paul says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. We evaluate someone's power based on what they can do or what we've seen them do. I I remember as a uh, 17 year old between my junior and senior year of high school, I started working for an Amish framing crew. 
And I was like a boy among men because I remember watching what they did and I was like, oh my goodness, people can do this? Like they're picking up like three or four three-quarter inch plywood sheets, carrying them on their back and then walking up and down roofs with them. Like I, I can maybe get one, but I'm not touching a roof with that thing. They're, they're, they're taking exterior walls that, that weigh hundreds of pounds and they're lifting them up and, and then nail them down. Like I, I need at least like five other guys to help me get one of those things off the ground. They're, they're, they're building, how, framing houses in a matter of like five, sometimes four days completely, right? Like I, I looked at them as a 17-year-old and I thought, oh my goodness, is there anything these guys can't do? Because that's what demonstrations of power invite us to say. They invite us to look and say, if he can do this, then what else can he do? Creation tells us God lifts the sun and just sets it in place. The sun that weighs 333,000 more times than whatever our earth weighs. Just lifts it up, sets it in place. Creation tells us God places the stars in the sky, all 200 billion trillion of them. And then, and no, notice this, I just saw this this past week. That's included almost as an afterthought in the creation account. Look, look back at verse 16. It talks about God creating the greater light and the lesser light, and then goes on and says, oh, and God created the stars too. Like if the stars are a footnote to God, how powerful must he be? He, he creates the strongest grizzly bear, the, the biggest lion, the most deadly killer whale. They all belong to him. He just speaks and, and, and they pop into existence. See, when we reflect on what God has created, we're meant to be left asking, is there anything God can't do? This is exactly what Jeremiah asks in Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. He says, ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. This is the exact same God who's at work in your life and in your story right now. Do you believe that? The exact same God. That, like, there are all sorts of things in our lives that we can't change about ourselves, our own hearts, about other people that we love, about our circumstances, but that should not cause us to despair or give up hope it should cause us to lean more fully into the God who nothing is impossible with. Creation declares your God can do anything. Rely on him. Rely on him, even when things are not going your way at all. Fifth, we might see that God is infinitely wise. The the whole creation account is about God taking formlessness and making form, taking chaos and making order out of it bringing order to every square inch of this universe. Creation reveals a God who perfectly orders everything in this world by his wisdom. And it's seen in the big things, like people talking about God fine-tuning the universe. And it's also seen in the smallest things we come across. Right? Like it's, it's seen in the fact that God sets the sun exactly where it needs to be so that we don't burn up or freeze to death. No farther, no closer. And it's seen in the fact that he creates plants with with solar technology to be able to harness the sun's rays and turn it into energy far before we could ever do that. It's seen in God creating this atmosphere that's perfect for life, 
right? Some people compare it to kind of turning dials, and they have to be just exactly right, all of them. God creates an atmosphere perfect for life. And it's also seen in him creating every single ant in such a way where they can carry up to 20 times their body weight so that they can survive. Like his wisdom's just all over the place. All over the place in this world. That's why we hear Psalm 104 again saying, Oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you've made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. The God who knows how to order the universe perfectly also knows how to order my life and your life perfectly. That there is nothing Nothing that happens in our lives that is outside of or not a part of his wise plan for us. And this is the God who's able to then give us wisdom as we walk through the most difficult things in this life to help us to know how to live. Wisdom through his word and also wisdom as we pray to him and ask him to give us wisdom. Creation declares your God is wise. Trust him and seek his wisdom. Creation also reveals God is abundantly good. Apart from let there be, do you know what the most repeated phrase is in Genesis 1? And God saw that it was good. Seven times, God saw that it was good, saw that it was good, saw that it was good. Until the seventh time, God saw that it was very good. Over and over again, God is pointing out the world he has made is good. God, God means for his world to be enjoyed. Like, yes, there's the danger that we can turn things in this world into idols, but there's also the danger that we become prudes who can't enjoy the goodness that God's given to us. There's both sides. God wants us to enjoy the world, to taste and see that he is good in all the tastes, touches, sights, smells, and sounds that he's put into this world, to see that he's good behind it all. Like, the the world is bursting with goodness, And don't get me wrong, the the world is full of brokenness and pain too. I'm not just glossing over that. We're going to talk about that when we get to Genesis 3. But we have to recognize God didn't create, he created it to be bursting with goodness. And even after the fall, it's still bursting with goodness. The world is bursting with good sights. A sunset, a sunrise, streams, seas, and starry skies. But, But we tend to, as we get older, not see the goodness in those things. Gloss by them. Kids tend to be far better at seeing the goodness in creation than we do at times. Perhaps we need to become more childlike in our lives. The world's bursting with good sounds. Music that makes us want to put down the windows and dance. Even making Lancaster County people want to dance. Music's that good. Music's full, it's full with laughing kids that make us want to smile. Birds singing in each new morning. Rain falling on the roof as we lay down to bed. The, the world is bursting with good feelings. The, the warmth of a fire in the winter. The, the cool breeze of a spring evening. The, the snuggles of a dog. The kiss of a lover. The hug of a friend. The back rub after a long day. The world is bursting with good smells. The smell in spring after the rain. You step outside last night after the rain, just something about it. The smell of fresh cut grass in your backyard. The whiff of Chick-fil-A. My wife and I got Chick-fil-A last week. I brought it in my car, brought it home, 
get out. Next morning I wake up, get back into my car and the first thing I smell is Chick-fil-A. Like this is awesome. Someone should create an air freshener out of this. I wanna smell this every morning. My day's instantly better. The, the smell of cinnamon rolls fresh out of the oven, freshly roasted coffee, a charcoal grill, the ocean breeze. The, the world is bursting with good tastes. Pulled pork, beef brisket, General Tso's chicken, a glass of wine, starburst jelly beans, a perfectly ripe peach, Costco green grapes. Yeah, anyone else? No? Okay, those are fantastic. I don't know what they do to their grapes. Why did God fill the world with so much goodness? Because this is a world that God takes delight in. Psalm, Psalm 104 again says, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Like God delights in the world he's created because he looks at it and he sees his goodness reflected back through it. And God wants us to enjoy the world he's created and ultimately to see him behind it all and say, look at how good our God is. Look at how good he is. The the world is filled with a thousand reminders that our God is good. And we need those reminders because guess what? There's a thousand ways Satan tries to convince us that God is not good. And so every day I need reminders that he is good. And creation's full of them. Creation declares, your your God is good. Enjoy him in the world he created. And then number seven, God is personally knowable. Creation reveals to us a God who speaks, a God who reveals himself, a God who wants us to know him. Like we, we see this first of all in what we call general revelation, which is this world and all God's created that he's speaking through it but God doesn't stop there. Then he also gives us special revelation, the the Bible. And and what's the high point of his special revelation? God's son coming to this earth. That's why Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. We we might think of it in this way. Jesus is like the self-portrait of God in many ways. That's what Colossians 1.15 says when it says, he, talking about Jesus, is the image, the self-portrait of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. If we go back to, to what we talked about in the beginning, the idea of a piece of artwork, By looking at a piece of artwork, you can learn something about the artist. But if you see uh, a self-portrait that an artist created, you can learn far more about that person. So here's a self-portrait from the person who created the first piece of art, Katie Joy from Keystone. And you might not only learn about her through a self-portrait, but but we realize, well, you can actually talk to her and get to know her and, and learn more about her as you relate back and forth. That's the exact same reality the creator of this universe invites us into through Christ. That not only is he the self-portrait, but he invites us to know him. Because we find that Jesus speaks a better word when he comes. One that calls us to repent and trust him and know that God then reconciles us back to himself. Colossians 1 goes on to say this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to, to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself 
all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus invites us back into relationship with the God who's created us, that we might know him and hear him speak through his word, that we might speak back to him in in prayer, day by day, walking in relationship with him as we live in this world that he has created. See, the, the God who's created everything is not distant. He's not an absent deity. He's not a blind force. He's a personally knowable God who wants to walk in relationship with you and makes that possible through Jesus, his son. But, but we might ask then, okay, well, then why should we care about knowing God through the world he's created? If we've got the Bible and we've got Jesus and we can pray to God, why should we still care about knowing God through the world that he's created? I said in the beginning, because I think it's this reminder of God's existence so we don't forget him. But, but here's a second answer to that question. When we know God as the creator of all things, we gain perspective on all things in this life. When we know God as the creator of all things, we gain perspective on all things in this life. One of the most famous pictures that's been taken in history is a picture called Earthrise. And it's a picture that was taken from the opposite side of the moon that shows the earth rising past the moon, almost like we would see the sun rising from our vantage point. Uh, Here's an updated picture. This is not the original, but an updated one. Just an incredibly beautiful picture when you look at it. From our vantage point, this earth seems ginormous, right? Seven billion people or whatever we're at on this earth, seven continents, massive seas. Like it just seems ginormous to my mind. But, But if you zoom out, all of a sudden it doesn't seem so big anymore. There there are all sorts of things we face in this life. Problems we encounter, ways that our stories are not going how we want them to, a future that seems incredibly uncertain to us, things that feel big and heavy and weighty. But if we're able to zoom out and recognize that our creator, our God is majestic, he's sufficient, He's sovereign, he's powerful, he's wise, and he's good. Then all of a sudden, those big things start to get a little bit smaller and find their proper perspective in light of our relationship with God. What what seems out of control is actually firmly under his control. What feels bad and is bad in the moment is actually something that by faith we believe he's going to cause to work for good, to make us more like Christ. What seems chaotic is actually part of his wise and orderly plan. What feels hopeless is just another reason to put our hope in God who can do anything. See, See, to know God as the creator day by day enables us to gain perspective on everything else we face in this life. Now, here's how I want to close this morning. I had you start out by answering a question, and and I want to have us close by answering a question as well with with the same person you talked to to begin. And and here's the question, and don't jump to it right away because I want to give you some suggestions to get ideas moving. But here's the question. What's one way you could use creation this week to worship God and remember how great he is? It's one way you could use creation this week to worship God and remember how great he is. And you might do one of these things on your own 
or you might do it with a friend, or, or you might do it as a family. So let me just give some ideas. You can come up with your own ideas as well, but let me throw some out there. Maybe it's just planning to go for a walk for 15 minutes in the woods and put on a song that speaks about how great God is in the world that he's created. Uh, there, there's a, a song from the Sight and Sound David soundtrack. There's actually two, but the one I think of uh, is Let Everything That Has Breath Praise the Lord, right? To, to put that on as you walk through and just worship God. Maybe it's finding the darkest place in Lancaster County to go look at the stars or, or just looking at the stars from your backyard and reading Psalm 8 as you do. Maybe it's looking up, where's the best place to see a sunset in Lancaster and going there to watch that sunset. Maybe it's going online and looking up the latest images from the Webb Space Telescope and being reminded, my God made this. Maybe it's measuring a three foot by three foot section in your backyard and seeing what all can I find and observe just in three feet of what my God's created. Maybe this might be my favorite one. Maybe it's a competition to see who can find the coolest bug on your property and then looking it up to learn more about it and how detailed God is in designing that bug. Maybe it's using a, a camera from your phone and with your family, seeing who can take the greatest picture in your backyard or a local park, and then talking about how great God is. Maybe it's putting on a nature show and sitting and watching it and reflecting on, this is my God who made this. Even if the show doesn't agree with your worldview, it's still presenting God who made it by accident for them. I, I just watched a show recently about whales on Disney+. Plus. It's crazy. Killer whales are incredible. God made them. Maybe it's some other show that you want to find that helps remind you of that. Maybe it's going to a local library and renting a book about a certain animal and then reading it by yourself or with your kids and talking about how incredible it is that God made this animal. Maybe it's making a list of what are some of the best tastes and touches and smells and sights and sounds. And then you just choose one off each list and say, I'm going to enjoy this this week as an act of worship to my God who is infinitely better than this thing. Here's what I'll guarantee. Your schedule is busy. Your schedule is busy. And if you don't prioritize it, it won't happen. It won't happen. But, but if you do, if you prioritize and say, hey, let's, let's do this, let's try this then you might just be reminded of how great and awesome our God is by, by taking in his creation. And it might just help to put some other things into better perspective in your life and in this world as we do. So, so again, I, I want you to turn to your neighbor uh, and decide how, how you would do this this week by yourself with a friend or a family member. And after a couple of minutes, the, the worship team is again going to lead us in singing. Go ahead. <laughs>